Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. You guys are amazing. You have the most incredible leaders amongst you. Do you know that? These guys that lead the church and your elders. How do I get more of this? There we go. Um, I'm not as short as Gabe. You guys have got relational giants as leaders, which is an incredible, incredible privilege. And, and one that uh, is, a, is truly a mutual encouragement. I just love the phone calls. I love spending time with these guys because they challenge me. Because I just want to be on my own. And, and they won't let me be like that. <laughs> And it is a joy and a privilege to be here tonight. Thank you. Thank you. We're just loving our time, the generosity, the friendship, the diversity. I just loved. Did, did you notice the people on the, you know, in the worship team? Did, did you kind of notice from, they went kind of like old to young. I couldn't see who was behind there, but it was kind of like, all right, you know, I mean, here's this, I, I could identify. It's like my age group. I don't know how old. <laughs> On his guitar, but I mean, here's this young guy. You can just imagine when I had hair, you know. <laughs> Thank you for being diverse. Thank you for celebrating diversity. Thank you for having color. Thank you for, for embracing diversity. Thank you for changing. Thank you for allowing God to do what he wants to do here. I know we're not perfect, but you guys are such a brilliant expression of the diverse people in this nation. And, and, I, and thank you, thank you. Thank you for not stopping. Thank you for, for pushing on. Thank you for embracing change, embracing new leaders, embracing those things. You are an inspiration. Thank you for being people who don't want to just do the things that have been done, but want to become symbolic of things to come. Thank you. Appreciate that. We're going to read a scripture together, and uh, Tyler asked me three times if this was the scripture I was going to read, so I'm not too sure. Uh, he's had a long day, and uh, he was battling with it. First of all, he couldn't remember the, 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 the reference, and then he came and asked me, am I going to read so much? So I don't know how much Bible you read in this church, but anyway, it's kind of like, do you just have one verse and then go? So... I'm going to change things up here. I have no clue how this happens. But anyway, uh, Joshua chapter 8. We're going to read together. And it's going to be at 29 verses. So, all right, come on. When last did you read a large portion of Scripture? Hopefully not long ago. Right? Oh, yeah, if Gabe reads this, it'll, you know, it's like when I listen to a, a podcast, I put it, you know, in iTunes, I can put it on one and a half speed maybe sometimes if... If it's really, I could put it on double speed. Anybody else do that here? I mean, there we go. At least, you know, it's like, life's too short to listen to it at normal place. So you can just talk like this, and you can be like Gabe. Anyway, enough time. Come on. Uh, We can read. I'm sure it's going to come up on the screen um, together. So uh, let's pick up the story. I'll try and give it a little bit of context just now. And the Lord said to Joshua... Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go to Ai. See, I have given it into your hand 
and the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. And you shall do to Ai as, and its kings as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. Now, maybe I'll just stop there to give you the context. Is uh, This morning, and I'm sure most of you I'm told were not here this morning, but I uh, did a story around, and we looked at Joshua chapter 6. Between Joshua chapter 6 and Joshua chapter 8, of course, comes Joshua. Seven, And there's a story there of, of how they went up against the city and they failed. This tiny little city um, defeated the Israelites. And they got some things right, and we'll reference that now, but now they're back on track. And so Joshua and all his fighting men arose and went up to Ai. Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And they shall come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, They are fleeing from us, just as before. So we'll flee before them, and then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God will give it to you and your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out, and they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai. To the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night among the people. Amazing little just short description. I wish I could just stay there. Just, and Joshua spent the night with the people. And Joshua rose early, and in the morning he mustered the people and went up, and he and the elders of Israel before the people to Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with the ravine between them and Ai. And he took 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. And so they stationed the forces. The main encampment was just north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley, and as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried out and went out early to the appointed place toward the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. And so all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua. They were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out your javelin or your sword that is in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it into your hand. Joshua stretched out his javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran into the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven. And they had no power to flee this way or that. For the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against their pursuers. When Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. 
And the others came out from the city against them. And so they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was left none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. And when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness, where they pursued them, and all the men to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, and all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out to the, the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction." Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. And so Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins. Say heap of ruins. Just so that you haven't fallen asleep while I've been reading. As it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset Joshua commanded and they took his body down from the tree. They threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city, raised over a great heap of stones which stands there to this day. Father, I want to thank you for the richness of your word and ask now that through this, this amazing battle story that you would capture our hearts, that you would teach us, you would speak to us. I'm praying that that by your power and the Holy Spirit, you would speak to each one of us individually tonight. And, and that you would speak to us corporately too. That we would be a people that would hear, listen, and do. And I'm asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever heard a preach, been in a church meeting, or you, you've been in a, a, a place and you've heard someone preach and it's just been so inspiring and God may be speaking to you, you've made notes, you think, wow, that was amazing, I'm, I'm going to go and live that this week, this is a power message. You even go to the preacher afterwards and you say, thank you, that is amazing, it's going to change my life. Maybe you've had a devotional moment in the in a time where you've been, you know, reading the Bible and God begins to speak to you and it's just, you, you write it all down and you think, this is it, I'm going to live, this is going to change my life. And, and a day or two or three max later, your life feels like it's kind of in a heap of ruins. It, it only happened to me. You know, I find that, you know, it's like, there are times when God begins to speak and, and, and bring revelation, and I'm beginning to do this. I almost, I love it, because you can ask any, I, I live, I love revelation. I just want to, you know. But on the other hand, I know, oh, yeah, I'm going to, it's almost guaranteed I'm going to fall flat on my face in a couple of days. God began to speak to me, and I was getting revelation. It was just like, and I preached on this this morning, encircling your promises by faith and walking around the promises that God has given to you and seeing these things come to pass. And I was like, yeah, I got it. I'm going to do this. And, you know, I was so pumped. And, and I um, have, over the last while, my brother, I think my brother died in May. He was 60 years old. His heart just stopped. And... Uh, um, through circumstances and situations, it, it wasn't what I was looking for, but God has led me and my older brother to take over the business. So I've had to put a, I've put a foot back in business, so I'm kind of trying to lead church and, and do the business world thing. And I'm, I'm trying to juggle this thing. I'm not sure that I'm doing it well, but um, 
the factory. I, so I stay in Joburg, and the factory is by the Kruger National Park, White River. So it's, it's three and a half hours drive away. And so I try to go down there once a week or once every two weeks or so. And so this time, I, I, I was just like, oh, God, you're speaking. And I'm, I'm, this is it. I'm going to get the promise. I'm going into the more of God. God, you're speaking. Yeah. Okay, I've got it. And uh, I go down this, this time, and, 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 I, you know, and I've got this factory, and it's upstairs. I've got the office, and I've got my, my MacBook Air and I've got my iPad, I've got my phone, the church phone, and I've got the work phone, the iPhone. I mean, it's all Apple. I mean, that's the only thing you can use. And uh, I've got all these things on my desk, and I think, and then I, I need to go down into the factory, so off I go. I go down, I lock the door, because it's, you know, thing, and I go down outside into the factory, and I'm working in the factory, and then I come back, and it's gone. All of it, my computer, my iPad, and uh, iPhone 6 plus whatever, gone. And I'm like, I mean, okay, I just fell into a heap of ruins, you know. I was shouting and screaming, and I'm like, you, you, you know, and I can't believe what's happened, and I'm mad with myself, and I'm mad with the devil, and I'm mad with everybody. And, and, and Andy was fortunately not there. She had come down with me that time. She'd gone out for, for, for a coffee with my sister-in-law. And anyway, you know, I just, and then we're traveling back home now, and I'm just thinking, you know what it's like when you've just, I mean, everything on there is just gone. And I'm like, and, and, and he says, we must be doing something wrong. You know, we're doing something wrong, you know. Why is this? The devil is coming. We're doing something wrong. And I'm going, yeah, I want to agree with that. But yet I know theologically it's not true. And I know that I'm not perfect. That's for sure. Andy knows that even better than I do. <laughs> and I know that... There is something, and I'm going, God, I know you've got more. Because, you see, for me, when I read the story about these cities and Joshua is, is, is taking the land, there is this city called Ai, and I go and look at that, and the name of the, of the word Ai means a heap of ruins. But on the other side of the heap of ruins is a city called Bethel. Now, Bethel means the house of God. In fact, it got the name, the gate of heaven or the house of God, because of Jacob. So many centuries before that, what had happened was Jacob, one of the fathers of that nation, he was leaving that territory, going to, to go to his mother's family. And on his way, he was running away from his brother because his brother wanted to kill him because he had just stolen the inheritance and his blessing. And he gets to this place. He's tired. He puts his head on a rock. You can read this in Genesis. He puts his head on a rock and he dreams. And in this dream, God appears to him. And there's this ladder that goes between earth and heaven. And there's angels descending and ascending on this ladder. And Christ, the, the pre-incarnate one, is at the top. And he has this encounter with God. And he wakes up in the morning and he says, this is the gate of heaven. This, this is kind of like where you get in. I found it. <laughs> and he names that place Bethel, the house of God. And he puts up a rock there and he, and he kind of like memorializes this thing. He says, this is it. So this is the house of God. This represents intimacy with God. You can't gonna get better than that when you know where the gate of heaven is. You know, it's kind of like I got it. I knock, knock. I'm in. Woo! It's like 
How many of you want to know where that gate is? You know, it's kind of like, how many times do you want that red telephone on your desk? God, I'm in trouble. I need help. You know, it's just like, I'm looking for that phone. How many, I mean, is it, always, is it just me that when I desperately need to hear God, he just does hello, hello, God, are you there? You know, and then when the other times, like, I'm not really, like, worried, and then God's going, oh, I've got your number. But anyway, so this is, this is Jacob. He's found the gate. He's found the place of intimacy. He's found this incredible, rich place with God. And, oh, I want to be there. How come there's just like a pile of ruins in the middle of it? It's just, I know it's, you know, to me, I just realized that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on this journey. We're going from Jordan. You're coming through Jordan, coming out of our sin, coming out of being a slave to sin, coming out of, uh, into salvation. We're going on to inheritance. Our goal is the Jerusalem. Our goal is, is to be with God in eternity forever, the new Jerusalem. But there's kind of like some cities on the way. And one of those cities I want to really get to is the place of Bethel. And I'm not talking about Bethel Reading in America either, okay? I'm talking about that place in God where there's this great intimacy with Him. But I so often find that I, I have to face my own pile of ruins. These things just keep coming back. And, and, and I, when I read the story and I look at this, I get encouragement. And I just want to maybe share just one or two things around how God has encouraged me and helping me. Because I'm not there. That got back from my trip, and, and I went down into my office in the morning, and I was just saying, God, I, I know I'm not doing something wrong. I'm not perfect. I, I'm covered by your grace. I know those things. But God, I need, I need to hear you. And so I began to read, and I was reading through Joshua at that time. And so I read Joshua chapter 8. And I get to this place in the verse where it says that Joshua raised the javelin, raised the spear, and he did not pull it back. He didn't take it back until the battle was won. Joshua must have been incredibly strong. Because this kind of happened before. I don't know if you, if you know the story that a couple of decades before that, maybe, I don't know, you know, there was a time when, when Moses held up a staff and, and he kind of got tired. So they, they kind of engineered something and they put him down and one man held on either side. And Joshua was one of those guys, you know, holding up his arms. But this time Joshua just took the javelin. It's like a long spear. It's not like a, the javelin that we do at the Olympics, okay? It's more like a short... Uh, in that context, it was like a, a man-to-man combat. It was a, a bit bigger than a dagger and shorter than a sword. Okay? So, but it, it had some substance. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know how long you can hold your arm in the air, with, even without a sword. I checked a bigger coming up here just now. I was like, ooh, okay. We'll have a competition later, how long you can hold your arm in the air. My arm's much lighter than yours. <laughs> It took a little while for you to get that. <laughs> All right. So, in my, 
in my Bible app and that, I can put notes and I can leave things, you know, and that's why I've gone. Somebody asked me this morning, hey, can I, he came to give me a prophetic word and he wanted to do something with my, with my Bible. He says, where's your Bible? So I went and got my iPad. I said, yeah, it is. He said, that's not a Bible. I said, of course it is. I've got about 25, 30 Bibles on here. Um, anyway, um, he wanted to put a Bible in my hand, but so I've got this little thing where I can, where I can, you know, I can write notes and put apps. And in this scripture, there is a little note, and I clicked on it, and it was from two years ago when God had spoken to me through that very scripture, and I'd forgotten about it. And this is what God had said to me at that time. He said, "Joshua had a spear; Moses had a staff. Wandering in the wilderness." requires a staff. Possessing a promise requires a spear. But to destroy a stronghold requires the lifting of the spear over a prolonged time. I went, what? Wow! I didn't even know it was like so wise, you know. <laughs> but that just jumped out at me, and it just so encouraged me, and I began to look at this, and I began to see that, you know how many times I've probably lifted the spear, and then, oh, you know, and I get so tired of this pile of ruins. You see, the problem that Joshua and the nation of Israel was facing at that time was, the problem was that they'd been defeated, and they'd been defeated by a relatively small army and it was kind of a bit of arrogance, and on their behalf, they had just gone and defeated Jericho. It's one of the strongest, powerful cities at that point in that time. And so they're kind of like, ah, this is a small little city, and they sent up a couple of guys, and they got a good puxla. They, they just chased these guys, boom. And they came back defeated, and poor old Joshua, he's like, what on earth? And he's on his face before God, he's like, Oh, you know, everything's over. You know, we're so melodramatic, aren't we? Especially us men. And, uh, and so God gets hold of him. He says, come on, stand up. There's sin in the camp. Now what had happened was, in the battle of Jericho, God told them, you, we're going to destroy the city, and you can't take anything for yourself. This first city, it's devoted to God. It belongs to God. It's a Hebrew word. I think the word is karam. It's devoted. It belongs to God. So he, God says to them, when whatever you take it, you burn it. You cannot take it for yourself. But there was one man, and his name was Achan. Do you know what Achan means? Anybody tell me? Achan means what? It means trouble. So his parents were the real reason of why they were all in trouble, because they named him Trouble. <laughs> And so this very man who brought trouble, he was trouble, he brought trouble. What he did is he decided that he would just keep some of the stuff. And he got, a, I think, you know, a bit of the, the gold or silver and some robes and things. And he took it and he hid it under his tent. Just put it away. And his sin and his rebellion brought trouble into Israel. So that when Israel went up against the next battle to go and take the promises of God, to go into the mall on their way to the intimacy with God, they were met, boom, with defeat because of sin. So now when I'm like looking at that, I'm going, yeah, maybe Andy's right. Is, you know, we do something wrong. I've got sin in my life and that's why I'm being defeated. And maybe you think that. 
And maybe you think that because there is something wrong or you've got sin in your life and that as you're going up, you, you're being defeated and it's because of you. I want to show you here because what happened was then is that Joshua gets the whole nation of Israel and he brings them up by, by, by tribe and then by clan and he singles out Achan and his family. He says, tell us, what did you do? And Achan says, well, I kept some stuff. It's in my tent. So he sends guys to go and get it and they bring the stuff that he has taken, that which was devoted to God, that which belonged to God, that he had taken, and they take him, his family, his donkeys and his sheep and his cattle and everything about him, and they take him down to a valley, and they stone him to death. They burn all his stuff, his tent and everything. They destroy it, and they pile a massive heap of stones over him. And they cover trouble. And one man had to die so that a whole curse of a nation could be freed. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got some trouble in my life. Anybody got trouble of sin in your life? Come on. Even if, if you haven't said yes, you're full of pride, and now you just sin. <laughs> now you got We all got trouble, haven't we? I mean, this is the trouble, and my trouble is it's like, I'm, I'm, I want to get there, but somehow I'm being defeated. I want to tell you is that as I was reading this, God began to really speak to me because I saw the gospel right here. In Romans chapter 5 verse 17, it says this, for the sin of this one man, Adam. So this is, this is Paul and he's writing this letter and he's telling them about the sin of this world and he says, for the sin of this one man, Adam, one man, caused the death to rule over many. Adam's sin caused this, this death that we have to rule over everyone, okay? But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness. It's not just the grace of God, but it's also His righteousness. So many people are just on about the grace of God. I don't just get grace, I get righteousness too. You know, we stop short of that. It's that God is gracious to us, but he also gives us the gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin. I'm going, yes, Lord, I want that. Anybody else here? So he's like, yeah, I want to have triumph over sin. And death through this one man, Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is sin came in through one man, Adam, but sin was dealt with by one man. His name, Jesus Christ. You see, one man's sin brought a whole nation into trouble. And that man had to die so that a whole nation could be free from trouble. Therein, right there, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What they were saying, there is coming one day a man, his name Jesus, and will take us out of trouble. And he will die, and his by, he will give us grace and righteousness so that we can overcome the trouble that we're in. And so when we go now back to, to, to the, the picture here of Joshua, that day on the battle, sin has been dealt with. Let's go to the next chapter. Now here is Joshua, and he's on the battlefield. 
Now this for me is the odyssey that Christ has become that man, God-man, that has dealt with my sin. Yeah? Now, I want us to see, there's the gospel right there. There's the good news. Is that, you know what? We're in all in trouble, been in trouble, and we can't deal with our own trouble, and we should die for our trouble. But Jesus came and took our trouble so that we could be trouble-free. So that we could be, that we could have triumph over sin. Okay? So we get the salvation. Some people have said this, and I, I think the thing that I'm really grappling with and learning is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just for salvation. I think for too long I forgot that. Someone said that the gospel is not just the diving board into the pool. The gospel is the pool itself. <laughs> and I thought, you know what, you know, when I, when I was growing up in the church, I grew up in a brethren assembly and they used to have gospel services on Sunday night. Sunday night was the gospel service. So in other words, that's the, that's the time when they would preach the gospel so people would get saved. It's like Sunday morning is not the gospel service. I want to say, church is the poo. It's the gospel. We've got to get back to the gospel. So I'm asking God, would you show me the gospel on every page? In every story, I want to see the good news. Because what I began to see was, not only did Christ deal with my sin, but He's given me a strategy to help me overcome the sin when I'm in the battle. So now Joshua and the people are now going to go into battle the same time. Now their sin is dealt with. It's covered. We've been given grace and righteousness, but now we're going. We still need the gospel. Why? Because when Joshua sends them out, God commands him, lift the spear. And he didn't pull back the spear until he had defeated. That spear was Joshua. Remember, that's the top, top of Jesus. He was lifting the spear and he was prophesying the gospel that one day a spear would be lifted that would pierce the side of a savior. And that savior would deal with our sin for eternity. That Savior would deal and give me the ability to overcome sin, to triumph over it. And I said, God, I, I, want, I want you to lift the gospel over my life. I want you. you know what I found is that some days I can win, some days I'm lifting the gospel, and the other days that's down. And I'm like, oh God, please. You know what I think that the enemy's greatest strategy is to get the Christ follower to forget the gospel. That we can live this life without it. That we can live this life without the grace and the righteousness of God. That we can overcome the enemy in our own strength. That we can do life in our own strength. And I'm going, oh, no, I can't, I can't. Why? I can't. I love the way that John, one of the disciples of Jesus, he explains it in his, in his letter and he talks about the blood that washes our sin and the water that cleanses us, the spirit and the blood that flowed from Christ. The gospel, the good news, friend, is that we need Christ and his grace and his righteousness to live life. And he, he gives us the gospel to deal with our pile of ruins. Anybody got some ruins in their life? 
Anybody done some things? Anybody embarrassed about something? Anything like you've done or you're carrying some, some deep hurts or, you know, issues, serious things? Maybe. I, I don't think there's one of us that doesn't have a pile of ruins. And every time we face those ruins, it seems like, ah, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not qualified enough. Oh, look at me. I didn't do this or I wasn't it. My mother tied my shoelaces too tight or whatever it may have been. And we've got these piles of ruins. I, you know, now this is, this is what happens. Is God tells Joshua how to deal with the pile of ruins. And he says, I'm going to ambush that pile of ruins. What you've got to do is you've got to send some guys around in the night and you've got to hide away. Get in behind the enemy. And then what's going to happen is you're going to go against this pile of ruins and I can tell you that they're going to come out and you're going to run away. But then you've got to turn and you've got to turn. And when you see the sword, when you see the gospel, when you lift up the gospel, he says, that's at that point your attack. And he gives them the strategy and they go and they do it. You see, this is... I read this somewhere. I wish it was mine. It's not. Okay. But this is what it says. The next time you're running from the enemy, turn and lift the spear, lift the gospel. That's mine. I'm, I'm, I'm there. But this is what it says. Satan and the Holy Spirit will both point out your sin. All right? They'll both point out your sin. But they'll do it in entirely different ways for entirely different reasons. Okay, now, when Satan, if you want to know how, who, is it Satan that's pointing out my sin, or the Holy Spirit pointing out my sin, here's the deal. It's this, Satan starts with what you did, and tears down who you are. So you want to know, when Satan comes along, he's going to point out what you did. Ah, look what you did. You see, you got, you know, you lied or you cheated or whatever. You looked at that thing you shouldn't look at or whatever it is. And look what you did. And you're worthless. You're just a pile of ruins. You see, you're bad. You can't do anything. That's the enemy. Now, the Holy Spirit will point out your sin. But he starts with what Christ has done and what he, Christ, has declared over you and will help you rebuild what you have done. It's very different, isn't it? I always say, God, Holy Spirit, come and help me. Because I, if you listen to the enemy, he's going to tell you what you've done and tear you down. Yeah. Make you worthless. Make you feel like you are just a pile of ruins. But when God comes, what he does is he, he points out what Christ has done and then declares over you what you are to become and he helps you become that yeah. through the gospel, lifting up the sword. Grace and righteousness. I believe that if we look at Christ and see what he has done and what he has declared over us, that's when the enemy will run. We've got to keep looking at the spear. We've got to keep looking at the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Let me just say, to finish off, a couple of things to help us in this text, to receive the promises of God, to receive, get to that intimacy, move in this journey. Number one, God declared in Joshua 8 verse 1, He says, I have given you the king of your ruins, past tense. 
I've given you the king of your ruins, past tense. But they still have to go and face it. I want you to know, friends, is that the king of our ruins, that which is ruining our life has been given to us. Why? It's past tense. Christ has dealt with it, but we have to lift the spear and go and ambush that city and burn it to the ground. The victory has been won, but we have to go and do that. Number two, verse seven says that they are to take possession. God will give it. You see, so oftentimes is that we want God to do everything. When it's all finished, we just move in. No, there's a fight, friends. It's not in our strength. It's not because of our righteousness. We don't qualify for that. We're not perfect enough for that. But God has given us grace and His righteousness. You know that Jesus lived the perfect life so that I can receive that perfect life that I lived. I'm covered in His righteousness, the perfect life that I could not live. I live because of Christ. Does that make me that, I, that I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm perfect? No, but I have the perfect life in Christ. Let me just finish with this, and that is, you've got to burn the city to the ground. In other words, you've got to destroy it. Amen. Now, I think that sometimes, <laughs> if you're anything like me, it's lucky. The pile of ruins been around for quite a long time. In fact, you kind of made friends with that thing, you know. Someone said, you know, when you get, when you, when you, when you habitually offended, you know, you go up the miff tree. You know what a miff tree is? Okay. <laughs> You go up the miff tree, and when you stay there long enough, you build a house up the miff tree, you decorate in the miff tree, and then you begin to live in the miff tree. All right? And you get comfortable in the miff tree. And so the next thing, the miff tree is that which is normal. The new normal is miffate. All right? <laughs> you get it? So whatever that thing is that you, you started, you never, you never intended, it was actually uncomfortable up the tree. But then you bought another plank and another one and another one. You bought a nice tree house. And then it was leaking and then you like, did the waterproofing of the roof. And, and then you brought in the sofa and the bed and everything and you moved in. And then you bring other people in with you. And the next thing you've got a village up a miff tree. Is that right? Okay, now you've got the pile of ruins. And you actually, you know, it's like you come down every now and again, but it's like, oh, I actually like my miff tree. And Jesus said, actually, you've got to burn that pile of ruins to the ground. Yeah. And that's not easy. Why? Because we actually like it. You know, there was a time when Jesus went into a village, and there was a blind man. And the blind man was calling out to Jesus, please heal me. And Jesus stopped. He says, what do you want me to do? And he says, I want you to heal me. And so he said, okay. And he took the blind man by the hand, took him. Oh, yeah. Gabe, you're going to have to be blind. Take off your glasses, and then you'll be blind. <laughs> Yeah. And he took him by the hand and he took him out of the village. He took him out of his pile of ruins. He took him out of the normal, out of that which he'd been in for years and years, that which he could smell and feel his way around. And he took him out of that, out into the open, and then he... <laughs> you blind, you cannot see what I'm doing, all right? <laughs> and he spat on the ground and he made some mud... And he wiped it on the man's eyes. And, and, and when he could open, he said, uh, what do you see? What do you see, guy? Men look like trees. It's pretty good, you know? And so then he just prayed for him again. And then he was healed. 
I was like, wow, you've just been healed. You don't look very happy. Yeah. Hey, where are you going? You see, that's exactly what the man began to do. Go back to his village. He was going right back to his pile of ruins. So what Jesus said to him, do not go back into the village. You're going to sit over there. Now, look at me, I got. Just think about it. Think about this. You've been blind. You've lived in this pile of ruins, this village, for all your life, you know. You've smelt every part of it. You have, you know, you've rubbed yourself there. You've like, you know, whatever. You, you felt this thing. You, you, I mean, you know the town by everything but by sight. Wouldn't you want to go back? Come on, be honest. How many of you want to go back and see what you lived in? Of course we do. That's what we want to do. We want to go back into the village. We want to go back into the small. We want to go back into that place that captured us and held us. This is burning to the ground. So you can't go back. Some people are saying, you know, Craig, how do I overcome sin? I know it's a battle. But I can tell you one thing. If you just remember this, burn your pile of ruins to the ground. Let's stand together.